to be a truly spiritual person is to be incredibly honest with yourself. We are terrible at looking at our own faults. It's not that we can't see them. We choose to not see them. We are very good at lying to ourselves. Welcome to Wrestling With God Show, the podcast where we grapple with big questions about faith, religion, and life. I'm Irish McMahon, and I'm here with a guy who loves studying theology, psychology, and human nature. He's my friend and Irish Catholic priest, Father Len McMillan. Hey, Father Len. Hey, Irish. So, Father Len, I think this episode is going to be one that I really like. And I think the listeners will, too. I love the episodes where you help us look at the intersection of psychology, human nature, and spirituality. So when we talked a couple of weeks ago about subjects we want to wrestle with on the podcast, you immediately, and I haven't seen you do this very often, immediately and emphatically said, I want to talk about lying. So that's what we're going to do today. But I have to ask you before we start, what inspired you to be so interested in grappling with this subject, grappling with lying? Well, there's just, in all honesty, there's kind of a lot of problems that people have come to me. And so just looking at my life, I always do the exam and what patterns are going on. And well, in the last couple of months, people are so frustrated with either having to participate in lies or kind of producing their own lies. And wow. so I know it was just a, it was a couple of months. The theme was, wow, denial, yep. lies, living yep. in a system of lies. Yeah, no, you were really into it. And I just noticed it. So I had to know what kind of inspired it all. So anyway, let's get going. Let's, uh, without further ado, let's grapple with lying. Okay. So the truth is people love to lie. But mostly, and this is the key point, to themselves. We're the species that is excellent at lying to ourselves. Now, technically, all animals lie. And the more intelligent the animal, uh, yeah, all intelligence, all animals lie. And the more intelligent the animal, the more they lie. So there's this great story about Coco the gorilla who could do sign language. Okay. And I love the story. Do you know the story? No, but I'm just now I'm thinking about animals lying. I'm thinking, is my dog lying to me? You know, I mean, yes, you, you, all, all animals lie, but <laughs> the more intelligent, the more they lie. Okay. So, you know, they, they taught Coco sign language and they gave Coco this little tiny, tiny orange kitty and she <laughs> loved her kitty. But one day Coco was upset about something. So she tore the sink out of her enclosure and threw it against the wall. So they asked Coco, they said, who broke the sink? And Coco signed kitty. (laughs) Oh, come on. (laughs) People lie. Animals lie. But the worst is that we lie to ourselves. And when I was a kid, there's this bar in Boise called the Crescent Bar, and they had on the sign, no lawyers allowed. 
which is a kid <laughs> I kind of was surprised by because like my dad had a lot of friends who were lawyers and I was like, well, why do they hate lawyers? And the reason why people hate some lawyers is because they're not on the side of truth. They're on the side of their clients. And so they retell stories that give the wrong impression or leave out critical details. And our inner lawyer, the one that's in our head, it does the exact same thing. Humans are excellent at lying to ourselves. We retell the story. We ignore certain facts. We claim to be the victim. And so we miss the truth. Like just honestly, God, just this week again, somebody went in for a job review and was upset because they didn't like what their boss said about them, that they could be cold and prickly. And so they're talking about it. And they said, well, no, it's not my problem. It's that these people, especially this one person, is really obnoxious. So he says, to be honest, I refuse to speak to them. Well, you just realized you confirmed everything your boss said. (laughs) They recast it that their boss is wrong. And literally in the story, they can't hear that, oh, everything they said is true. You just admitted it. But, you know, they, they've been seduced by their own lies. And people are excellent at picking out other people's lies, other ways people cheat or whatever. But they're terrible at recognizing the own way they cheat. They always rationalize their answers. And to be honest, that makes us Pharisees really big into shows of religion, but not honesty. That makes us not faithful to God, but faithful to the big show, faithful mm-hmm. to a bunch of BS. But he, And here's my point. To be a truly spiritual person is to be incredibly honest with yourself. In the book of Koheleth, it says something kind of like, worse than a sinner is a fool. And a fool is not somebody who's dumb. A fool is somebody who lies to themselves and then calls themselves faithful. That's a Pharisee. So to be really spiritual is to be honest. And I can't tell you, like, I I had a meeting years ago, and I was kind of surprised by this, where a woman comes in to meet with me, and it's clear, telling her story, that she's battling depression. She's an older woman battling depression. She's telling me her life and it's easy to pick together from her life that she's had an abortion because women who have had abortions, they have a higher older women have a higher rate of depression and suicide. Now, here's the truth. I really love this woman, but she thought her issue was with religion. She wants a religion that doesn't ever challenge the source of her depression. And like I, you can't have then then you just want fair sacralism to to blame all these other people people really i think they want to be spiritual but to be spiritual means to be incredibly honest and we as the catholic church have this history called the desert monks the desert fathers and mothers so just real real briefly in their history when the person well even before the persecution ended there are people who want to really become spiritual. So in the early church, they would go off into the desert and pray and pray and pray. And eventually these communities of monks started just lay people who really wanted an experience of holiness. And so they withdrew from the world. They're just lay people, but they became these little islands of holiness and incredible spirituality Part of the desert month 
Egypt's tradition is really this incredible honesty. And so they have all these little stories. They weren't interested in like uh, the catechism type of learning theology. They only studied theology through prayer and self-examination and stories. And Abba Macarius, and his name means happy, Abba Macarius, this holy man, he has this vision from the devil. And the devil is walking and he has this jacket filled with all these little pockets of bottles. And the, the, each bottle is a temptation. And he's walking to where the monks are. The monks would live in these caves or huts. And the devil tells Macarius, he says, oh, there's a monk there who always welcomes me. And he asks for the monk's name. So later, Macarius goes to the monk to visit the monk. And the monk is first confused why this holy man, Abba Macarius, would come to visit him. Macarius talks to him and says, I got to be honest with you. I still have a problem with lust. I still have to struggle with lust. And the young monk, he admits he struggles with lust too. And then after that, Macarius says, to be honest, even sometimes I really struggle with anger and resentment. The monk actually, younger monk confesses, oh, I have that problem too. So he has this long conversation how Macarius struggles with these things. And the monk admits that he struggles. And then later, once again, he has this vision of the, the devil and all these little bottles of temptation. And Macarius asks him, he said, are you going to visit your friend, the monk? And he says, no, that friend no longer can hear me. He's learned to be humble. And the point of that is that the devil's major weakness is our humility gained by honesty. Naming the truth about ourselves weakens the devil. It's honesty that is the devil's kryptonite. So part of the desert monk's tradition is that you get really good at naming your own sins, not naming Nancy Pelosi's or some other politicians, because that just blinds you from your own sins. The desert monks were really aware of the dangers of playing this game of appearances. And so for them, the worst sin of all is not a, you know, adultery or theft. The worst sin of all is the self-righteousness of appearances. And so their motto was, quote unquote, flee the world. That's why they went into the desert. So at one time they asked Macarius, well, we're here in the desert. We fled from the world. And Macarius says, no, <laughs> to flee from the world doesn't mean to just exist in the desert. It means to go into your cell and in silence face the self. He said to flee means to become still and having fled from all the nonsense chatter that is here. And he points to his head or Vagarius said, and I think this is really true. Vagarius said, this other monk said, you become still. So being still is like water that stopped agitating. So it's become as glass. So you can see your true self. So a lot of people want to always be disturbing the water. They want a lot of drama in their life, getting upset about this and that because it keeps them from seeing their true self. So So are you, are you saying that, you know, like the woman you talked about that wasn't being honest about her depression and the fact that she'd had an abortion, are you saying that 
the best way to be honest with yourself is to be alone somewhere and and to examine yourself that way or uh, i mean are you well, being, gonna... being alone helps because you you want to silence i wouldn't say being alone silence because with the silence you want to quiet all those voices so you can he- see the true reality fleeing into the desert is not escapism it's running to true reality in the woman's life she was doing a lot of stuff to run from reality or the the person who said oh i had this job interview and the i can't believe my boss said this and then proves everything the boss said is true like that anger and drama and getting upset it's just to prevent from seeing your true self yeah it's a and, rationalization obviously yeah like the monks would put it this way the monks talk about demons and you have the demons of lust and gluttony and anger. And the amazing part is demons always present themselves as virtues in the sense that I'm not an angry person. I'm just standing up for justice. <laughs> but they're really good at examining what demons you need to wrestle with. Like one is the demon of illusions that, you know, if I had money, I'd be so generous. I can't tell you how many times people have said, if I win the lottery, I'd give yeah. 90 percent of it to the church which i hope is true but, that <laughs> but probably maybe, not yeah maybe maybe not i don't know but that's a demon of illusion you're not really living in reality you're living in this non-reality and they would say that's just agitating the water so you can't see your true self or the most dangerous demon of all they said is pride pride is a form of insanity that makes us arrogant and intolerant towards others and the problem is with the demon of pride, you can't rationalize with it. You have to kill it. And if you're the type of person who's always intolerant of others, the monks would say that's proof that you're under the influence of the insanity of pride. So really, the, I, what I liked about the monks is it was early kind of insightful psychological view of yourself. Now, for the monks, piety was not hands folded, wearing yards of lacy vestments and speaking in this whispery voice. That's just theater. Piety for the monks was this extreme discernment of your own vices and virtues. So practicing extreme honesty, one becomes more free from the demons and more able to live in the freedom of Christ. Yet, still to this day, a lot of people want their priests to be concerned with external shows, you know, how your hands are folded, wearing lots of lace, this rigid demeanor, just make sure you're criticizing uh, everybody else in the world. And it keeps the focus of the priest from practicing extreme honesty, because then if you're honest about your stuff, you may be honest about mine. And that's not going to go over well. And so in the desert monks, they had these Abbas and the Abbas were like spiritual directors. Usually older people really wrestled with themselves and they were to gain the ability to read other people's hearts. So knowledge of others to read the hearts of others and know more about another than they know about themselves. They would say that is only born from self-knowledge, from years of wrestling with your own demons. And so the Abba had to be one who had wrestled with the truth himself or herself before being a spiritual directors to others. And Abba Procobius said, um, and I like this, he said, the deepest truth about ourselves 
is the ground of being we all share. Then to truly know yourself is to know the deepest knowledge of another. Knowledge of the clay that you're made of is to know the clay that all pots are made. So humility for the desert monks is knowledge of your true self. And therefore you're better at loving other people who really, we all have the same similar struggles. You know, one, one of the things you were talking about the holy man visiting the monk in the desert. And when he finally confessed that he was struggling with a number of things and that caused the monk then to say, me too. There's something about that humility, that honesty, that, I mean, if you can do that with yourself, it opens up a dialogue with other people. And in a way, I think it, what's the word I'm looking for? It supports your ability to be honest, because then you find out, oh my gosh, I'm not the only one, you know, right. I, I, I I'm not the most, I'm not the only guy that's insecure. I'm not the only guy that's lying. I'm not the only guy that's angry. But if your vision of the religion is the opposite, that not naming my faults, I'm more interested in naming the faults of of your wife. Yeah. Then if I'm doing that as your spiritual director or priest, then you clam up. Yeah. You don't have the ability to be honest. And this sounds kind of strange. What a lot of people want is not honesty. What they want is the illusion of honesty. And they want religion to give them the illusion of honesty. And that sounds kind of strange, but really, people want to be honest, but they want the illusion of honesty. And so there's this great experiment, I think it's hilarious, where they tested how honest human beings are. And in some sense, human beings are pretty honest, really. Most people are. But the real fine part is that People want the illusion of honesty. So they did this experiment of in college dorms, leaving out like a bowl of cash. And believe it or not, you know, most people, except for sociopaths and nurses, most people will not touch that cash. You know that somebody else's cash, but they will steal your Diet Coke in the refrigerator. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's just a small Diet thing. Coke. What's right? that? That's right, exactly. Like, oh, it's, and once I thought this was so funny because I had read this and <laughs> they steal things that still allow them to say, oh, no, I'm a very virtuous person because I right. didn't take the cash. Yeah, I, I, didn't took take your, much. I took your Diet Coke. Yeah. So I was on vacation with some friends and their daughters were on va- with us and their daughters are teenagers and they come back. They come back and they're drinking <laughs> Diet Coke. So I said, Where'd you get the Diet Coke? And they said, oh, it was free. It was on the cleaning lady's cart. Yep. And I said, but they're not offering, the hotel doesn't offer free Diet Coke. And they said, no, no, it was on the cleaning lady's cart. And I said, yeah, that was her Diet Coke. You stole her Diet Coke. And they said, no, no, it's free. <laughs> or and it's said, the Diet Coke that they're going to put in the room that the, yeah. the, the hotel is going to charge you for. Where yeah, they yeah. put any Diet Coke for free. Yeah, no. Uh, and the <laughs> girls just would not admit it. And I thought, but people, they won't steal the cash. They'll steal your Diet Coke. And they did this other study, and I just think this is amazing. Now, here, here's the thing. People will, they'll put them in a situation where they'll cheat somebody else and then lie about it. But 
if you put a mirror in the room in front of the face of the person who has to cheat and lie, most people won't do it. No, wait, we put what in front of the person? A mirror. A mirror. Okay. Hang a mirror on a wall where they have to tell the lie. And in the background right behind you is a mirror. If they have to actually face themselves, they won't do it. Like, so like we, the point being is that, you know, you're a liar. You're just trying to convince yourself of the illusion of honesty. Even the study about married people cleaning the house, they videotaped or recorded them and asked how much of the house cleaning they do. It's mostly women who clean the house, but men who say it's a 50, 50 completely wrong. They (laughs) overestimate it by 120%. And then same thing with people when they estimate their contribution to a company is overestimated 139%. We love to lie for ourselves because it makes us feel comfortable. Well, this one guy tells this great story about he had college roommates that he really resented because he felt like he was doing all the cleaning. He was cleaning out the refrigerator all the time. Yep. He got so upset because he was the one always cleaning. He simply stopped cleaning. And the roommates, it didn't make them pick up after themselves more, but they did pick up on his resentment. And that resentment united them against him. So it was this horrible college experience. Now, here's the interesting part. So he's just stopped cleaning the refrigerator. But (laughs) think about that. He self-selected this criteria would constitute being a good roommate. And that's cleaning the refrigerator. And he gave himself an A. And he was resentful because he thought he was doing more than his fair share. And then later, looking back at it, he realized his roommates were doing things, just other things, not cleaning the refrigerator. And he said, you know, with age, I learned back, I look back and think I had no right to be resentful. I was just lying to myself. My whole point is we are terrible at looking at our own faults. It's not that we can't see them. We we choose to not see them. You talked about pride being kind of the ultimate demon and stuff. I think pride is at the heart of some of that stuff. Oh, yeah. And so you, do you want a religion that really exposes your lies or confirms, no, no, you're right? And, and <laughs> when I say religion, I really mean this because there's this great book by Dan Irinelli on honesty. Fantastic book. But he wrote the book. He's a social psychologist. He wrote the book because he runs into this friend who was managing for Rolling Stones, but then got hired for Enron, the company Enron. Okay. You know, Dan already thought that Enron was a big conspiracy, but his friend who worked for Enron, he defended, no, it's doing great. And only later could he see how it was all cheating. But the environment of the company kept saying things like, you're not cheating. We have this philosophy that we're helping the world. We're helping the world. And the whole time they're cheating. But here's the thing. The guy who was working for Enron couldn't see it at the time. So Dan Arinelli started to think, how do people structure a company, a corporation, or even a church, either to be honest or not be honest? And like, this sounds kind of strange. This diocese that the bishop, he's a very nice guy. This bishop, he's a nice guy. He'll shake your hand and smooze a great, great political skill at smoozing. But all his priests said that the one thing the bishop 
does not want is the truth. So if you're selected to be on one of the bishops committee, your job is to say, yes, oh, that is a great idea. Wow. So I was with these priests and I said, well, what would happen if you object and said, I don't think that's a good idea. And one priest actually laughed and he said, oh, I did that. Where (laughs) the bishop wanted to do something. He says, well, canonically, according to canon law, I don't think you're allowed to do that. And after the meeting, somebody else came up to him and said, the bishop has asked that you leave this meeting. Like, (laughs) Think about it. You're structuring this environment the same way Enron did to say, no, our philosophy is we do good things. But you structured it that you you're if you're part of the committee, you're you are obligated to lie, to support the lie. And that's what I mean, like self-deception. We are very good at lying to ourselves. We even structure certain companies or offices that you just agree to lie how, and then how, call yourself. Well, we're really good people. And if how, you repeat it enough, you believe your own lie. So when you start the lying, or uh, how aware are people of their people lies? People are so aware. They-, they just blind themselves. Like Dan Irinelli tells a story about himself. Now, here's the thing. He tells this great story where he's this you know, 20-year-old, and him and his friend are boarding a flight. Okay. And they're supposed to board and back. And they come up with this funny little game, and they start laughing. They come up with this game because they let the handicapped people on first. Right. So they joke. They say, oh, get the wheelchair. Let's do it. So he did it. He got that wheelchair, and they got on first. The problem is then you have to, when you be wheeled into the plane, now you're stuck playing this game. And so he said, I stuck in this wheelchair. That's how I got on. But then I had to be helped to my seat. And says, then as they're flying, he has to go to the bathroom. Yeah, now what do you do? <laughs> and so they get this little kind of wheelchair that they wheel up to the, uh, to the row where he's sitting. airplane bathroom that doesn't fit into the airplane. Yeah. And it was, you know, he has to be transferred to the toilet. It was this awful thing. And he is pissed off. And he is so pissed off because it's so uncomfortable. When they get off the flight, he demands that they go to the airport airline complaint department, wait in line to complain that they're not handicapped successful. That's ridiculous. And only when he's waiting in line and he's pissed off does he realize, well, wait a minute, I can walk. <laughs> but like his anger, he was angry about the whole thing. But once you start to play the game, you start doubling it down about it. So the point being is that he knew that he wasn't handicapped, but he said, you start playing the game and you want to believe your own lies. And they did this study that publicly stating a lie cements the lie. Publicly, when he got in that wheelchair, he had to continue it. Or another study of sunglasses. They take two groups of people. They give them a test on honesty to put, given the baseline level of their honesty. Then with one group, they give them sunglasses and they say, these are fake Gucci sunglasses, but you have to tell people that they're real Gucci sunglasses. Wear them for a month and then you can keep them. The other group, they said, these are real Gucci sunglasses and just tell people they're real. Then after a month, test their honesty. The ones that had to publicly say that these are real uh, Gucci sunglasses, even though they thought they weren't, 
they test it out as after a month lying more. Because the theory is you start thinking, well, everybody tells little lies. Then the moment you convince yourself everybody tells little lies, you start to lie more and more and more and more. And you start to double down on your own lies. Now, the truth is, here's the amazing part. They weren't fake Gucci sunglasses. They were real. But the moment you start to lie, even though the lie is the truth, the moment you start to lie, it becomes this force of itself. You have to keep doubling down. And this sounds strange, but like as a little kid, my mother would call us out on something like we'd say, well, could you tell, could you say that we're sick? And my mother would always have a couple lines she would always use. And one of her lines was, I'm not going to help you lie. And you wouldn't believe how many times in priesthood I've had to tell my own parishioners, I'm not going to help you lie. And about some very serious things that the church, I hate to tell you this, is not honest nor is it dishonest. It can be as delusional as any corporate body, depending upon who the head of the company is, what, what kind of honesty they want. Yep. Corporations and churches are not rational. They're emotional. Now, you want religion to be more honest? Then the question is, does your church promote honesty or lying to yourself, not to other people? Does your church, like think about the desert monks, if you entered the desert monks, you knew it was going to be brutally honest about you had to become over the years brutally honest with yourself or look about, you know, there's these scientific arguments for God that I think are fascinating, cosmological, fine tuning. But as St. Paul says, you know, deep down, there's a God. And you can say, well, that's religious. People lie to themselves. And atheists will often say, well, you know, like Stephen Hawkins, I, I'm rational. Religion lies to itself. Actually, what they found out, religious people are far more honest than other people. And atheists lie to themselves as well and then call themselves rational. Like Stephen Hawking famously said, religion is a fairy tale for those who are afraid of the dark. And John Lennox, who's this Catholic, brilliant mathematician and astrophysicist, replied, atheism is a fairy tale for those who are afraid of the light. So I love to collect stories of famous intellectuals who said that they were atheists, but then converted. And all of them may have wrestled with some of these arguments about God that, you know, are interesting. But all of them always said after they converted, they said, I always knew there was a God. I was just working to suppress it. That they were just lying to themselves. Interesting. And you have these great people like T.S. Eliot, C.S. Lewis, W.H. Autumn all these scientists and none of them ever said, well, you know, I looked at the evidence and then I finally believed what they said is I looked at the evidence and stopped denying it to myself. Mm. Um, You know, so my only point being is that churches lie, atheists lie, corporations lie, but churches, at least they strive to be more honest and test out to be people that are practice their religion are more honest. So St. Paul's right. Everybody knows there's a God. They're just trying to suppress it. St. Paul says something like, how can we know God again? Why did he say again? In the garden, we are meant, the garden of Eden, we are meant to live in communion with God and other people. When we deny that we have this homesick longing for what we're meant for, that's what he means by again. 
even religious person who believes in God may not be open to the truth. And here's the thing. They did the study, the Bowmeister did the study on lying, that people that heavily lie to themselves, there's two tactics that they take, which I think is really, I found out to be true in my life. They either double down as define themselves as victims to get away with a lie, or they marshal their anger to prevent self-examination. So the person that said they had the job interview and was upset with what the boss said, they doubled down saying, well, I'm the victim because this other person doesn't like me. Even though literally in saying, well, I refuse to work with these people. Well, the boss is right. And you double down with anger. So, So anger and victimhood can really be a telltale sign of your lie. Of your lie, huge sign that you're lying to yourself. That's really that's really interesting, and and well, that, that rings true to me somehow. That in my own life, watching people, even myself, I guess you know, when you get angry, or yeah, that that's uh, well, that's here's, amazing. Here's, this will get gritty for some of our podcasters, but did you ever watch the movie American Beauty? I didn't. Okay, sorry about uh, that. I didn't. Well, in American Beauty, there's this one. The two teenagers are in love and the girl teenagers, he's at her house and he says, she says to him, he says, here, I want to show you something. And she takes him to the China cabinet of his of her father. And now her father is this right from the movie, an incredibly angry, angry, angry man. And she takes out a plate and turns it over and it has a Nazi symbol that the father collects all this Nazi paraphernalia. And the father is also really anti-gay. So at that point, I saw the movie with this other priest, Steve Rukavina, and Steve Rukavina leans over to me and whispers, he's gay. And wow. I know. And I said, what? And he said, why? And Steve says, think of confessions. And then it clicked like, oh yeah, that's right. Now, not so much now in priesthood, but I've been a priest for 31 years. In early priesthood, you wouldn't believe how many times somebody would go to confession that they are the person who goes to confession who's just hates gays, anti-gay, is gay themselves. I had this one person who went to confession many years ago, small town. He was a farmer and he was having an affair with this other farmer and his wife died. And so he married this other woman and goes to confession and he's sleeping with this other farmer. So I had to ask him, I said, why, why did you marry this other woman when clearly you didn't want to? He says, well, I had to. Otherwise people would might figure out that I'm gay. Oh my God, you, you ruined her life. But, you know, He'll do all this stuff. You know, if you ever met him, he was very anti-gay, da, 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 da. But wow, your anger is a cover-up. I've met priests and bishops who can be so anti-gay. And believe me, that's a sign they're crawling under the wrong fence. I've met, <laughs> I've met parishioners who would be so, you would think that they're puritanical, super puritanical, and it's this huge, their anger is this huge signal that i don't know like and i know this sounds kind of strange it's hard to articulate but you can just feel the bs 
that the anger is a huge symbol that unless you're naive, you think, oh, well, that person would never do that. No, no, you can feel the lie. The same thing with that anger and victimhood. So this one woman, I, I called her out because she was gossiping and I asked her to stop spreading so much gossip. And then she claims that I attacked her. I never yelled. I just said, please stop your gossip. But then she starts this thing that I attacked her, that she's the victim. Uh, she is, or this woman who I really did like her, but she was cheating on her husband. And I was talking to her and I said, you know, the truth always comes out. You know, you're going to have to stop this. And once again, she was kind of a Pharisee, really big into shows of religion, but not honesty. And she, I was shocked when she says, no, no. She said, I had to cheat on him because he doesn't give me enough love. And I remember thinking, you're not the victim. Um, <laughs> wow. Like that study is right. Anger and victimhood often are ways that we blind ourselves. This and, is, this is something that's going to so stick with me, this anger and victimhood. And, you know, especially I think if you want to examine yourself, honestly, if you're, feeling like or portraying yourself as a victim, if you're overly angry, maybe you should look at yourself and see if you're really being honest about yourself with yourself. Wow. You know, you know how uh, Vagra said people like to agitate the water so they can't see their own reflection. And that's what I think anger does or even victimhood. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're, they're related. They're kind of the same thing. Yeah. You're right. Wow. But think about this. God's name is truth, right? In the Bible, God is truth. And in the Bible, in Daniel and Revelation, if you're God's property, God's name is written on your forehead. Truth is written on your forehead. I love that. Mm-hmm. You, truth. But, and this sounds kind of strange, in this very ancient religion, Zoroastrianism, you have God and the devil. But I always like, in Zoroastrianism, you know what the name they gave the devil? They don't call him the devil. I have they no idea. The lie. The lie. I know. It's always whether you want to believe the lie. You can either believe the God of truth or instead of calling him the devil, just call him the lie. That's awesome. That sounds kind I of like strange. That. I pray one Hail Mary every day. And really, I pray for reconciliation. I pray for my parish that we'll know our own lies. So the same way the desert monk said, oh, you have to wrestle with these demons and the demons it doesn't matter if it's gluttony or arrogance or illusion they want you to believe the lie they work for the lie the devil so you know how do you fix yourself to become more honest i go back to the very early church the desert monks who i know this sounds kind of strange but everything they taught is backed up by experiments in positive psychology that introspection is only possible if we learn to be brutally honest with ourselves. Secondly, they said you had to belong to a community or at least have someone, a spiritual director, who's always willing to challenge you. The point being is that it takes, and the monks would say this, it takes decades to learn how to live, to become brutally honest. So they lived in the desert in extreme austerity and constant prayer to expose themselves to the truth. 
Secondly, all of them had an Abba, a spiritual director. Here's the thing. That's what's important to belonging to a community. A community allows you to become more honest. Now, the odd part, they did this experiment on how well you know yourself versus how well your friends know you. They did this study predicting your death based on your personality profile because uh, certain personality traits cause people to live longer. You'll live longer if you test out to have more grit. You'll live longer if you test out to be more conscientious. And so if I asked you, well, Irish, how gritty are you? You'd say, I'm the toughest son of a U.S. You know, (laughs) everybody always overestimates their virtues. But their friends were better at predicting your true traits and your longevity that your longevity based on personality traits is far more accurate by your friends and yourself. So you need friends who can be brutally honest with you. Or another fix is like, there's all these things like practice St. Ignatius examine every day, examine, examine, examine your life. And here's another thing, more reminders. Sounds so amazing. If you recall the Ten Commandments before taking some psychological test on morality, you always test out more moral. Even if you're an atheist, even if you can't even remember all Ten Commandments, the point being is that more reminders do make us more moral. And the more distant you are from a pledge, the less likely you'll carry it out. So you need more reminders to make you remember your, your pledge to be moral. One, a one-time pledge does no good. That's why I think God demands we come back week after week after week with each other on the Sabbath and celebrate the Eucharist. It's this constant reminder of our striving for honesty. But there's all these other things too. Like this sounds kind of strange. Exposure to children makes you more honest. People who have small children behave better. Interestingly, we want our kids to behave better than we do. So we don't want to expose them to our faults, to cussing and cheating. And even if people are exposed to like children's toys while waiting in a bank line or waiting in a bank line and there's children art on the wall, people behave better. Even when you had a bad childhood. So like reminders, uh, moral reminders, practicing the examine. And oddly enough, and this part I found amazing, does punishment make people more moral, more honest? Believe it or not, it doesn't. Punishment such as the death penalty doesn't make you more honest. We're not that logical. (laughs) I told you, people are not logical. We're emotional. And so they had this religious ritual where this one order did of whipping people that you'd whip yourself if you committed some sin. (laughs) But no, seriously, that was a practice. But it didn't make them actually more honest. So they did this experiment with people to give electric shocks to themselves for cheating. People who are guilty will inflict more pain. So oddly enough, people who inflicted pain on themselves felt more shame but it didn't reform their behavior. So I know like punishments don't work. Self-examination does belong to friends who can challenge you. And most of all, just the desire to become honest. So father Lynn, 
You know, I think most priests have a spiritual director, and that's usually another priest, right? Uh, no, not necessarily. No, it well, could be anybody. But you, you mentioned that, that that's an important thing for a lay person. Who do you look to for us to be a spiritual director? How, how do you, how does that relationship work? And how would you pick somebody out to be your spiritual director? Well, I'm of the Irish school. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, um, you would. Of course you would. No, seriously. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually joking and serious. The ancient Celts, the ancient Celtic church was monastic. It wasn't diocesan. Okay. It was more like, I guess it'd be what, Tibet? It was controlled by monasteries. And Ireland had this also golden age of spirituality. And really, it was amazing. When everything else was falling apart, Ireland was a shining beacon. But it was the monasteries that made it so. And monks always have spiritual directors, right? So the Irish custom was to get a spiritual director. And in Gaelic, they call it your Anamkara. Anamkara, okay. Anamkara. And it just means soul friend. Okay. And a soul friend is not a best friend. So what you do is pray and pray and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal who would be your good soul friend, your Anamkara. And the Anamkara makes a vow of secrecy that anything you, you can tell your Anamkara anything and they are not allowed to repeat it. So the Anamkara could be anyone, not your best friend, just some doesn't have to be a priest or monk or nun. It could be anybody, but you should pray to God. Who would be an Anamkara? Who would be a good Anamkara for you? And the tradition was about once a month, you'd go and make your confession to your Anamkara. You would tell them everything and get their wisdom. And your Anamkara would not be a lifetime appointment. It'd be only for so long. But I always think that was a really wise tradition. Interesting. That- well, you know, there. Uh, I don't know who told me this years ago, but if you want to uh, get an honest asse- assessment of yourself, ask your 17-year-old daughter. <laughs> and I, I found that to be very true. You know, it's kind of funny. I, I love dogs, but don't get me wrong. But have you ever noticed, like, alcoholics, their one close friend is their dog? Is their dog. Or homeless people, their dog? Because... The dog is only capable of saying, oh, my God, you're wonderful, you're wonderful, you're wonderful. We need that sometimes, too. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's true. Well, Father Len, I'm, I'm glad we did this. And I, I do think this will be, I know you always kid me about this. I think this will be one of my favorites and, and one of our listeners' favorites. So we welcome your comments and questions for Father Len. It's easy to get those to us. Uh, you can just shoot me an email. Father Len hates email, but I do look at mine, and, and I will pass them along to Father Len. My address is irish at www.productions.org. That's irish at www.productions.org. You can also leave me a voicemail or a text at 208-391-3738. Now, this podcast is created and distributed by Wrestling With God Productions. Our theme music is composed and performed by Jake Einick and Kevin Barnett. The lifeblood of Wrestling With God Productions comes from generous donors who support our mission. If you've benefited from one of our podcasts, please consider making a donation at givesendgo.com slash wwgproductions. That's givesendgo.com slash 
WWG Productions. Thanks for your support, and I hope you'll join us next time as we continue our journey climbing the mountain of life, searching for truth, meaning, purpose, and brutally honest self-examination in our lives. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Thank you.